tomorrow. I love you tomorrow. When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. From the top of your head to your last margaret. Pizza. Perfect. We're ready for curtains. <laughs> They've learned the words. <laughs> it's sort of a thing that the the big musical director says the night before the show. They did it. They learned the words. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, they know what musical we're doing. You there, boy. Tell the town. The musical's ready. <laughs> the words are down. <laughs> memorized. Ready to go. <laughs> sir, they've memorized the words, sir. God. Today of all days. Quick, sound the bells. You crazy son of a bitch. Light the torches. Light the beacons. <laughs> Eddie. to discuss <laughs> that's your job enjoy it oh you brought this on yourself when you made that i pact did oh me. i did i made that pack with jen <laughs> me I sold my soul to jen for a podcast yeah and uh this is the price and i wouldn't have it any other way good because you've got no choice so what have you been watching <laughs> i have been watching well the big release of this week is morbius morbius yeah everyone's got something to say about morbius and not much of it's that great <laughs> uh, you know, some films could benefit from being just a little bit sillier or a lot better. <laughs> okay. This is the latest film in Sony's Spider-Man bad guy universe. Uh, Spider-Man uh. wanted, please inquire within. <laughs> it's um, it's the two Venom films that we've had to yes. so far. And this is all vaguely spinning off from the, the post-Amazing uh, Spider-Man 2 plan to have a Sinister Six movie. Which fell apart when that movie wasn't good. Sinister Six? Um, Who's Sinister Six? The Sinister Six was like a league of Spider-Man's bad guys who got together in order to mess up his life. Um, It's one of those things. We're so running dry now on things that have vague, um, ring vague bells with with, uh, casual comic book fans. Uh, yeah, but people I... from the '90s remember the Sinister Six if they were at all into the cartoon. So I think that might be the last one. After okay. that, it's all stuff adjacent to things like the Eternals, where nobody knows what that is. <laughs> okay, I thought that was just me who didn't know what that was, but that's no, good to that's, know that no that's one not knows. A thing. The post-credit sequences for the Eternals are amazing because it's like oh, he's going to be the Black Knight, and everyone's just like, "Who? What? Is, is that? Is that Batman?" I know Batman. Be Batman. You know, it's just they've. It's very interesting. They're hoping they've done all the groundwork now that you'll just be like, "Oh, I'm sure it's going to be good, though." Moon Knight. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I remember that. So Green Knight? Yeah, it's that's it. It's, Green Knight is definitely part is of the part? MCU now. Okay, great, great. Because yeah. I like that. That was good. I thought that was interesting how they didn't make him at all a super move, superhero. Well, maybe it did in some ways. Talks in about some it. ways. <laughs> in any case, Mobius, Morbius. I keep calling it Mobius. Morbius is directed by Daniel Espinosa, who made the somewhat better than expected life a few years ago. Uh, to me, that is. It was still quite divisive. <laughs> critically uh the plot concerns jared leto as michael morbius the worst name hero ever yes terrible and michael has a blood disorder that's likely to kill him eventually along with his fellow sufferer milo played by matt smith 
Doctor Who, ah, Matt Smith. I like Matt McSmith. You like Doctor- Matt McSmith? He's Matt good McSmith. Stuff. I did say Matt McSmith. <laughs> because yes, Michael Mobius makes a cure that turns him into a vampire, so he's compelled uh, to drink blood. We're told. So that happens. That's science. <laughs> Look, it has to be a pretty bad disease to consider vampirism as a good alternative to it. Like mild eczema, I'm gonna keep hold of that rather yeah. than be compelled to drink the blood of the innocent. Yeah. It's just going to get in the way, finding time to fit that into your week. <laughs> I don't know. You're pretty nocturnal already, Paul, so... Well, that's true, actually. This could actually fit in quite neatly, way more conveniently than light therapy. <laughs> <laughs> nope, Doc, I'm going, for the, I'm going for the vampire. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense for you. <laughs> she presses a button that unleashes many bats from her desk. <laughs> oh, God. So the film is narratively and thematically just toothless. ho, <laughs> ho. Okay. Um, uh-huh. Uh oh, who's no, this guy and when's he leaving? There's, <laughs> there's a chance to tell a story here about inner demons, mm. about you know the wolf. It's basically a wolf story as well, rather than a vampire story, because it's all about this wild side that you're afraid to get out. Whereas vampires has always been about sexuality. Mm. You know, Dra- Bram Stoker's Dracula is Eastern European types are going to come over and steal your lady because mm. they're really hot. That's what Dracula always was. So hot. So you better kill him first. And then over time, that evolves to the point where it's like, well, maybe the hot vampire people aren't the worst thing in the world. And that's how you get like Twilight and such. Yeah. Because we're not as afraid of female sexuality. Well, no, we're not as openly afraid of female sexuality as we were in the Victorian era. It's less legitimate to just make a movie about that. Although I not guess. impossible. No. Oh, I could find a way. Oh, absolutely. I'm working on a <laughs> screenplay. <laughs> it's called Ladies, Let Your Men Do the Picking. <laughs> Oh, a return to Victorian values at last. I've been campaigning for years. <laughs> so, yeah, and also there's stuff in there about, like, ableist societies robbing an individual of their identity through their sort of... The, the fierceness they have to develop in their sort of opposition to it. Or a story about addiction, maybe. Um, but this movie doesn't want to get its hands dirty or risk the franchise potential of its main character by having them mm. do something morally dubious. Okay. So it's a very bland story about just like Ooh. power and responsibility that we've seen before uh, there's a really dispiriting moment early on where michael morbius has just turned into a vampire for the first time mm-hmm. and he attacks the villainous uh crewmates that he's assembled for himself he rather conveniently surrounded himself by just absolute villains so that he, when he goes mental and starts killing people no innocents had to get involved oh that's handy that is handy you don't want him to you know accidentally kill a nice person so he hired not those <laughs> So he goes to attack them, and you're like, okay, here we go. We showed up for this. Vampire action. And he transforms into CGI goo mist. And every time he's a vampire, he attacks people through CGI goo mist. And it's just a really sad moment in an action movie where you suddenly realize you're not going to enjoy any of the action. It's like, I'm not going to see a single, like, fight move here or piece of choreography or anything that looks in any way good, am I? And you have to come to terms with that. That is sad. It's really sad and it's exhausting as well. The movie's not that long. It's about an hour and 50, which is, you know, shorter yeah. than most superhero films. But, yeah. oh boy, it stretches out in front of you once that happens. <laughs> Made worse by the fact that there is no character here for Leto. Um, he's not the be- I I don't think Jared Leto's a very good actor. I think he's trying for a sort of Johnny Depp style. Yeah, I can that's the impression do- I get. Yeah, I could do caricatures mm. or... Um, you know, like, uh, what do you call it? Little, like, sketch kind of thing. So, character roles. I honestly, it's taken me years to work out who he is. 
and what he looks like <laughs> because he's so often in such heavy makeup yes and prosthetics absolutely. to make him look like whatever weird character he's supposed to be playing that day yeah i'm just like who is jared leto and yeah you could be like oh what a chameleon he's yeah. so great at adapting but but that's I so shallow fe- I, yeah <laughs> i just feel like no seriously who is he i'm not getting any human yeah exactly i don't um, think uh, i don't think he's ever done anything and made me think oh i get what he's feeling here like my favorite mm. role of his is probably playing the eccentric uh, multi-billionaire in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, where he's. The, is that um, him? That's him, the sinister blind guy. Sinister? I don't remember him at all. <laughs> at that but point, there. though, it might have been because my bump cheek was uh, had gone. Oh yeah, we went marathoned the two <laughs> yeah, uh, Blade Runners, and butt problems became a big issue. And there's another film we'll be discussing later on today, which where my my ill health will uh, once again play a factor. Um. But yeah, he's really bad here. He's he does nothing, and he's very unrelatable. And his whole character is his hair. He has long black hair, and Look. so he becomes funny when he shows up in professional functions in his suit and long black hair. Hey, it's a look. It's nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with making your entire personality about your hair. Have you not well, noticed that not. since I dyed mine red? <laughs> <laughs> you have been all about that lately. Yep. <laughs> Look, it's it's one thing that's in my control pool, and it looks good. All right, so uh, I'm sorry if this is what Jen yeah. is now. You, your personality is now Pantene advert. You're always flicking <laughs> yeah. it about. You go to activities Woo. that are going to emphasize the ha- yeah. your hair flicking. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just absolutely. playing tennis all the time so that you can do like the dramatic turn. And I'm like, isn't... maybe it's she's born with it. Maybe it's a hair advert. I'd... Maybe it's Pantene. <laughs> maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Pantene. I swear or... they've stolen this from us. Mmm. Herbal Pantene, or <laughs> I'm I'm loving it Pantene. <laughs> oh God, you made me think of a McDonald's shampoo and for the shower. Oh God, ba 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 ba, I'm loving it. I smell like chicken nuggets. Ba 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 ba. Why did I do this? <laughs> now that's a better slogan for McDonald's. Ba 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 ba. Why did I do this? <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is all much more fun than talking about Morbius, but I must I must on. push on. I'm afraid. Yeah. Um. Okay. Matt Smith. He aims for sinister. Often arrives at ridiculous. They've yeah. That sounds about right. They've got him in this big suit that makes him look like a Talking Heads album cover. And speaking of his head, he's got this makeup that makes him look like a character from Van Helsing. <laughs> Van Helsing. But he, but he acts like dark suit Tobey Maguire in Spider Man Three. Ooh. So, oh, look, Teen Me is suddenly, suddenly quite into this. <laughs> I think Teen Me would have loved this Matt Smith character. Oh, God. I, again, it's the whole issue is I wish it was sillier. I wish he was a bit sillier, but he's oh, he's just shows up, shouts a lot, and then charges at people in CGI goo mist. Uh, there was literally one shot of him where he's supposed to look sinister, where he does look sinister. It's where he's like charging in slow motion, and there's something eerie about it. Otherwise, he's just quite funny. What we end up with is a superhero movie where there's no sense of empowerment, a villain story where they can't afford to have him do anything wrong, and a action movie with bad action. So it's just a kind of ugly, boring film that I'm a little bit annoyed yeah. exists. And it feels like the whole thing is here just to do the post-credit sequences where mm. they've done something weird because everybody thought this was going to be the movie to introduce a Spider-Man. But ah. instead, they've taken a MCU villain quite a good one and plonked him into the sony verse huh yeah he just shows up in a cell and he's like well i guess i'm here now and it's like oh you're rushing towards doing this sinister six thing and you don't want to make six films 
So you're right. piggybacking off of Marvel by taking one of their better villains, uh, which is a big deal for the MCU. And I don't know. I This whole shared universe thing with Sony, I think, is going to get very frustrating. Yeah. I, I already really resent how present Eddie Brock's Venom was in No Way Home. And he had one scene. Mm. But I dislike it. I dislike that. And I don't know. Increasingly, these movies are just going to feel like negotiations and contracts between studios mm. rather than actual <sighs> stories people wanted to tell. And this is a cynical thing. So I'm going to give it the one star. Wowie. Yeah. Wow. Someone's angry. <laughs> well, yeah. I Someone am didn't get enough sleep last night. <laughs> there is always that because I was out hunting the innocent. Mm. But, uh. To cure your eczema. <laughs> to cure my eczema. Worth it. This might work. I'm actually using uh, plasma as an emollient. Mm. And, uh, so far, results have been inconclusive. Inconclusive. Well, better keep trying. That's better. science. That is science. <laughs> try, try again. It's try, science. try again. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm not gonna. I probably won't bother. Like I said, I've tapped no, out on. Please don't. I pretty much tapped out on superhero films. That's you worth sort it. Of, you started to reel me back in with the Van Helsing evil Tobey <laughs> Maguire. Wait for a YouTube compilation. Do you know what? Just as I came up the stairs right now, mm. Daredevil 2004 was playing. A really rubbish film. Yes, but one oh. that is. The one with um, ben, ben Affleck, Affleck and Jennifer blind, Garner. Blind guy who would see yeah. the powers. Right, and yeah. Colin Farrell who can hit anything because he's oh. bullseye. Get it? And <laughs> yeah, it's rubbish. But it has a sense of fun that makes it just a little bit more watchable than something like Morbius. Oh, yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I enjoy that. Yeah, I, it is ridiculous. I do remember seeing that. Yeah. That's just, I'll rewatch that instead then. Um, yeah, do that instead. Great. Next <laughs> film. Okay. Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Oh, jeez. Come on. Yeah. Gotta go fast. Gotta go so fast. Gotta go so fast. Catch those rings. Yay. Catch the rings. They can transport you anywhere, apparently. I didn't know that's what we've been up to, but there you no, go. No, I thought they were just rings. I thought they were just rings that you wanted because he's a kleptomaniac. <laughs> and a capitalist. And a an magpie. imperialist. Stealing rings. The indigenous, indigenous wealth of whatever zone he goes to. And I'm not here for it. But before we cancel Sonic, let's talk about <laughs> So, Dr. Robotnik, Jim Carrey, was, mm-hmm. uh, he finished up the last film trapped on a planet entirely covered in mushrooms and nothing else. Uh, <clears throat> the movie starts with him adapting to life on his mushroom planet, and then he manages to find a way off, care of Knuckles, the, the echidna, a fighty alien thing. Mm. And uh, he, he teams up with Dr. Robotnik in order to... Uh, bit, beat the living crap out of Sonic in revenge and then go after the Master Emerald which will allow the bearer to f- shape the world as they- Ooh, sounds it's overpowered yeah it is it's, a, uh, it's basically you remember the infinity gems in the Marvel Universe yes. one of them one of them was just change all of reality and they really didn't use that a lot in the no. end because <laughs> that was a bit overpowered yeah so Surely if you've so, got the change all of reality, Jen, you don't need, you don't the, other need the others. <laughs> exactly. You can just change reality to do what the others do. I've seen a flaw in your story, actually. <laughs> Let me explain. <laughs> oh, you need to reposition your mic, I think. The nasal's there. Uh, oh, the nasal's back, is it? Yeah, oh, just dear. a little bit. Yeah. Oh, oh there we go. Oh, is this <laughs> as actual actually? actually. Uh, no, that's perfect. There Great. Is perfect. There is something early on in Sonic the Hedgehog 2 that communicated to me effectively in a way that a lot of... There's a, there's a grey area now, because blockbusters in general, there's a kind of infantilization thing that can go on with all of this comic relief undercutting everything, and you are, mm. you are, I am... I don't like cheap shots at the MCU too much, because I do think 
the movies are substantially better than the blockbuster, the bland blockbusters that existed when I was a kid, like Daredevil. Yeah. Nevertheless, there's a homogenization thing that goes on there, and there is an infantilization of the whole thing. So, and then also with kids' movies and kids' concepts, there's this thing that comes in where they make them dark and edgy, and you're just left wondering, who is this for? Yeah. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 communicated to me that this is a kids' movie quite early on. Oh, that's good. So, don't take it too seriously. We're going to have fun. There's going to be a meandering plot. There's going to be a lot of comedy, and some of it's going to get super grating because we're going to throw a lot against the wall here and see what sticks. We've got Ben Schwartz from, uh, oh, God, uh, Parks and Rec, is it? Oh, um... He plays John Ralphio. John Ralphio? Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So <laughs> we've got... It is Parks and Rec, because I had mm. that whole storyline with him and the other guy, and I just I, it lifted so neatly out of that series. That I was yes. like, where do I put this? Is this a community? Yeah, it's, it's so good. I mean, he's he's the best. Because <laughs> technically I'm homeless. <laughs> yes, so Jean-Ralphio plays Sonic. Yeah. And um, he's a lot of fun. And then you've got Jim Carrey as Robotnik. And they both have a similar approach to this, which is just talk really quick and say a lot of stuff and see what happens and improvise. Yeah. And, you know, and Jim Carrey's, he's doing his full on 90s bit. You know, <laughs> this this is the Riddler, Jim Carrey. This okay. is very much... Okay. A sort of, I feel like he was given quite a bit of leeway here. And it's kind of fun to just see him slip back into that. I was going to say, I've always enjoyed a kind of over-the-top energy. That's it. It's over-the-top energy from both Mm -hmm. of them. And it Mm -hmm. can be a bit grating. Mm -hmm. And the plot is super messy. Um, There's a part where they just stop their epic adventure in order to have a prolonged sequence involving a ruined wedding. And it's you you do find yourself thinking, what are we doing here? (laughs) What What is this? Where am I? Was it fun but and whimsical? It was kind of whimsical. It was, um, yeah, it, it had just enough going on to, for it to remain engaging. It okay. was very silly. There's a bit where they tra- they transport to Russia and end up in a dance competition against some hostile locals. And again, it's just a massive diversion for what's really going on. But <laughs> I'd be lying if I said I wasn't somewhat enjoying the Russian dance-off. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it's for, isn't it? It's like, we've got a vague plot. It's obviously not interesting yeah. enough to do a whole film. What yeah. fun little side sequences can we That's do to exactly actually it. entertain the children? <laughs> well, exactly. And there's some good human roles in it. We've got James oh, yeah. Marsden and uh, Tika Sumter as um, his, as Sonic's adoptive parents. And I just think they're a really great couple. I really Aww. like them both. They're very friendly and happy in that kids movie kind of way. But there's something very charming about them and the way they interact with each other. Um, mm. As well as both being quite attractive. I think oh, it's quite yeah. an attractive couple, that James Marston and Tika Sumter. Mm. And a lot of her scenes, though, get stolen because she has to share them with Natasha Rothwell playing her sister. And she plays this sort of big, bombastic kind of character whose wedding gets ruined uh, uh, partway through the story. And then the, her story becomes about revenge. And it's quite fun and a little bit silly. Cool. We have Lee Majdoop playing basically a Smithers to Jim Carrey's uh, Professor, e- uh, Professor X, Dr. Eggman. <laughs> Nevertheless, I found him very fun. Yeah, he's very good. He's a very handsome man playing mm. this sort of um, cloying uh, sycophant guy. Mm. And that was very amusing to me. So and then we have this sweet but simple messaging that's not going to push any boundaries. You know, if you want that, yeah. we'll talk about a movie later on. That's a kid's movie that pushes boundaries. Uh, but it didn't get released in cinemas. So we have to talk about this first. <laughs> it's it's very straightforward. It's about friendship, as you'd expect. <laughs> it usually is, isn't it? <laughs> All movies are about friendship until you get a little bit older and then they're about finding your way. Yeah. Who am I? 
Who what is I? my purpose? How can I avoid closing myself off? It's a new experience. Whereas as kids, it's like friends. Friends! Your purpose is friends. Have friends. Friends are good. Funnily. Enough, and there's maybe. stuff in there about being a hero. What's the, the phrase they keep repla- uh, re- repeating? It's, um, you know, being a hero isn't about making yourself look good. It's about taking responsibility for others. That kind of thing. So oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's fine. Yeah. I'll tell you this, though. Surprisingly good action. Oh, yeah. And somewhat humiliatingly, perhaps, substantially better than the action in Morbius. Wow. <laughs> this kid's movie's beaten you. There's an opening sequence that is clearly an homage to The Dark Knight in which Sonic is trying to be a superhero. And if Sonic weren't there, it would just look like a crime drama. They're using a lot of practical elements, a lot of vehicles okay. crashing through things and, you know, damage to the streets that's actually real, not CGI. Wow. Um, but it also has this lovely narrative dissonance of, like, a, a, a van is careening out of control and in the window it, it looks like a christopher nolan movie then in the window you just see sonic's big dumb blue face <laughs> that's funny that's quite good i like yeah, it yeah that's good and they keep doing it there's a car chase later on and you can tell they're actually flipping cars around and wow. when sonic has to fly through something you can tell they've probably actually shot something through that wall and then put sonic in in post wow it's yeah it looks good good for them <laughs> and then the nostalgia element is interesting because nostalgia is in an odd place at the moment. Mm. The 80s nostalgia that characterized most of the movies of the past 20 years is kind of waning and giving way to 90s nostalgia. Yes. As the people who grew up in the 90s are now becoming old enough to become creative types and producers. Absolutely. And this is what they want to see. So this movie still has references to 80s movies, like Risky Business gets a look in. Okay. Um, the famous shot where Tom Cruise slides in in his underwear. Um, I don't think I've seen it. It, you've you've definitely seen pastiches at this moment. It's oh, like I a must character have, yeah. is a character is home alone, and they put on the old fashioned rock and roll thing, dun, dun, oh. dun, 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 and a character slides into a doorway in their underwear. Yes, that's that's risky business, and they right. do that here. So we've got all of that. Then you've got some '90s stuff and little references to '90s movies that took me by surprise, <laughs> and then also some contemporary references. At one point, Jim Carrey once he's very super powered, he you know. Be- builds himself a giant robot and says welcome to the new normal which is a covid thing the covid thing right okay good i got it i got it reality i got it living in now i got it (laughs) it was a fun little reference to i'm glad you're here to get all our lives are glad you're here to get the references and whisper them over to me in the cinema oh that was in reference to i'm a man Uh, i make pop culture references instead of having a personality (laughs) that's not true (laughs) bazinga uh (laughs) Ah, oh, this this lady's cool. She's got red hair. Of course, she's cool. <laughs> I would watch her stand-up special, perhaps. Yeah, or at the very least, review it without having watched it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then the only reference I thought they really obviously missed is there's a moment where Sonic nearly drowns, and they don't play the Sonic drowning music from the games, oh, which is very surprising. Okay. Um, <laughs> it was a fairly dramatic moment. I guess that that would have played it for a <laughs> yeah. laugh. Yeah, that's but, true. Otherwise, yeah, it's fine. It's it's very good, I think. It's um it's not gonna I, I can't see myself watching it again, but I didn't resent the fact that I did watch it, and that is not nothing. No. So that's it's a good gonna start. get a perfectly middling three stars, I think. It was Great. perfectly functional, nothing to not recommend. Okay. If someone said to me, Oh, I'm taking my kids to see Sonic the Hedgehog too, I'd be like, Well, first of all, have you seen this? The thing we're gonna talk about later. Sure. If so, yeah, sure, go go for it. It's gonna be fun. Yeah. Parents, Great. you're not going to be too annoyed. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I won't go and see it. 
I don't Fair know. Fair enough. <laughs> but that's fine. <laughs> there we go. I think this is another example of a Sunday afternoon at your parents' house. You wouldn't shut it off Maybe. style. Maybe. I'm not sure they'd put it on though, so. Mm. Well, it does reach past the sort of nerd value of it being a video mm. game adaptation and becomes just a sort of general, you know, family fella. Okay. Is this, yeah. given the, the bad track history of video game adaptation films, is this one of the best? Oh. It's uh, one of the least offensive, I would Great. say. Wow. Sonic the Hedgehog <laughs> 2. I didn't realize it was going to be you, but you're heralding a new era. I think the first one was probably better from what I remember was of it? it. Okay. I think so. I only watched it the once and it was right before lockdown. So it kind of... Yeah. Everything's tinged gold and rose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just remember it being the wonderful cinema times that I wasn't allowed to have for many years. Mm. Oh gosh, years. Mm. Anyway. Uh, anyway continue happy 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 podcast happy 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 the lost city happy 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 the lost city the lost city oh with with sandra bullock Bullock and the channing taters channing tatum a new beefy yeah Yeah. beefy and short-haired there was a little beefy blob next to sandra bullock and you had trouble just putting (laughs) the face on it beefy male blob (laughs) stick the face on the beefy blob is a kid's game that i'm trying to market yeah uh look out for that uh, Sandra Bullock plays a, roman- a romantic novelist, an adventure novelist, who has semi-historical novels that mainly feature sort of horny sex. Mm-hmm. Um, her fans... Mills and Boone. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Her fans somewhat overlook her in favour of her cover artist, uh, cover model, uh, played by Channing Tatum. Yes. Yes, whenever they show up at functions, they're always keen to see him, which is not something I'm sure has a real-world equivalent. If there's like a, a rock star celebrity cover artist for books... Probably not. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Wait, is he kid. doing the art or is he just the model for the art? He's the model for the art. Okay. No, I don't yeah. think there's an equivalent. I think I don't think, I don't think the little kid on the cover of the We Need to Talk About Kevin book grew up to, you no. know, be... Oh my God! Yes, yes, I know. I'll, let me sign this. He's yeah. got sunglasses on. I don't think that happened. <laughs> no. Um, but I like the concept. <laughs> then we have Daniel Radcliffe and Daniel Radcliffe is playing ah. his exact character from Man- Now You See Me Too it's right. eerie his introduction <laughs> shot is literally the same um, and he is after a treasure and he believes that Sandra Bullock has stumbled across a secret in one of her books and so he wants to recruit her to do that for him she is actually grieving She her husband has died ah. um, and so she's kind of given up on life she just wants to sit in her bathtub drinking Chardonnay with ice but she can't do that, so she has to be pulled back into the world because you can't close yourself off to new experiences. Oh, um, the message! The messaging! <laughs> yeah, Channing Tatum sets off to rescue her with the help of Brad Pitt, who plays a sort of seasoned adventurer who's going to help them initially. So Ooh. it's a it's a rote but very entertaining adventure movie. Yeah. It, it's fairly by the numbers. It reminded me a lot of 90s adventure movies. It had a mm-hmm. Congo feel to it, and... A bit of silliness, in particular the heavy romance element, which is kind of nice, <laughs> considering that I think a lot of blockbusters have finally realized that having arbitrary love interest isn't actually necessary. Yeah. You could just do without. Mm. Um, and people won't, you won't get an audible laugh when the two characters who have just been saying exposition to each other kiss in the final reel. Yeah. They've just decided, we well, just go without. But here it is nice to see a film sort of structured around a romance in a way that feels like, a, you know, an 80s or 90s adventure. Yeah. Movie. Like, it's romancing the stone, I think, is the big pull here. Okay. It's, um, yeah, sort of lighthearted romp through the jungle. Does it have any, could, could I compare it to The Mummy at all? A little bit. Here's the big problem comparing it to any of these movies is that it does have modern comedy. Oh, which means that it is not ca- it is not script based, character driven dialogue comedy. 
it is improv based. Ooh. It is let's and it's not let's put two comedians in the in the lead roles here and have them improv with each other. It's let's get two actors. Yeah. And have them improv and it'll be more authentic. So a lot of it's kind of awkward. Mm. which is irritating. I would love to see a very tightly written comedy film written by a funny person. I feel like it's been a while since I've seen that on the big screen. So that's a shame. Nevertheless, the characters are quite fun. Uh, In particular, you know, Daniel Radcliffe plays a much more pleasant and funny and charming version of the villain he played in Now You See (laughs) Okay. Which is good and enjoyable. And he's quite fun when he's on because it makes the most of his sort of slightly absurd nature. Yeah. And then Channing Tatum is, you know, the lo- the very pampered, lovable doofus mm. kind of thing who's very naive and lacking in real world experience, even though he's this big guy. So there's a good contrast there. And Sandra Bullock is... Um, is she plucky? Around. <laughs> she's plucky. She is plucky and she's mm. just... she's. She's the straight man, essentially. She's yeah. just things happen to her, and she remarks on how strange and bad they are. Yeah, um, which is just fun. like me. Yeah, <laughs> that's the life. price you pay for being the main character. Yeah, <laughs> I get to be the quirky side character. Yeah, that's true. Everyone's <laughs> gonna love you best. Don't worry. <laughs> but then I'll make a spin-off movie starring me, and it'll just tank. Tank absolutely flop. He was Cause... not equipped to handle no. the story. Mm. Absolutely. Um, an interesting thing of good cinematography versus terrible editing. Oh. So shots in general are quite good. We have really sweeping, you know, beautiful views of the jungle and these really intimate shots of our heroes. And the color palette isn't too obnoxious for a modern blockbuster. Mm. It's not too overly color graded and just, you know, orange, which a lot of movies tend to be nowadays. But it is really badly edited. Oh. There are shots, comp- like... Moment to moment editing as well. There are just like inserts which are bizarre and cutting around people so that you feel like they've switched sides. They break the 180 rule quite a few times. Right. And it's just a little inexplicable sometimes. And you think, wait, why did I need to see this? And it drives home how artificial the comedy is feeling as well when they keep doing that. It's like, okay, this isn't that funny. Let's try and make something happen by cutting around the place. And yes, we do have a fairly obvious message about getting over trauma and moving on, but I think the film is at its most endearing when the characters feel authentic and you actually feel a bond between Mm. Channing Tatum and uh, Sandra Bullock. And that's usually when they're not improving, but actually doing character stuff. So it's still fun. It's a good laugh. Cool. Uh, But could have been better, I think, if it had just been, I don't know, maybe got over a few more times perfected yeah just find a way for them to be funnier together i think yeah so i'm gonna say three stars again it's it's average you're not gonna be bored or irritated watching it but Hmm. it's not gonna knock you off your feet either i feel like i feel like i would actually watch this one again probably a sunday afternoon at my parents but also i did watch the trailer for this one Mm. and i don't know i think it's probably because it has channing tatum in yeah he's very good channing tatum in general i forgot about him being in it but i do love him he is great (laughs) big beefy meat boy Um, yeah he's a big beefy meat boy and that really comes across good and he's quite funny yeah Um, he is he's very self-effacing that's very clear in this movie is that he's willing to do stuff that you know might seem a little embarrassing and that's that's really great i love that so uh, I'm not going to go to the cinema, probably. <clears throat> nah. take some, you have to be going It'll... to see the film before I go to the cinema. <laughs> drag me along nowadays. But, oh, um... yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not going to feel the need to drag you to this one. It's fine. fine. It's a good afternoon film. Cool. Okay. Right, great. Next. Okay. X. 
versus Sever? No. Oh yeah, yeah. It's been re- remade and re-released, and both versions are amazing. No, it says X. The new movie X-X. by Ty- Oh no, X-X-X? it's not X. It's not X X X. That's how we pronounce that, right? Yeah, it's <laughs> like you're trying to scare off a cat. Yeah. It is just X. X marks the spot. Too simple. Oh, what's that? Oh, just, sorry, it <laughs> just means just X on its own. <laughs> but it sounds. Oh right, sounds. Um, that does sound good. Oh, everything sounds better in French. That's true. So this film's not in French, and that's to its detriment. However, Boo. we have Ty West, uh, the kind of cult horror movie director who I don't think was ever under threat of going mainstream. You can compare him to like Adam Wingard, who then went mainstream, and it was a mistake. Um, but Ty West was kind of from... He was from that era of, of horror moviedom where everything was coming out in DVD, where there was always an extensive DVD collection in your average DVD shop, Mm. And horror was always huge because it became a pulp genre. Okay. By which we mean that it, there were low barriers to entry, which meant anyone could have a go at it. And there was good opportunities to get your movies out on DVD because there was a very loyal and committed fan base for just horror films. And as a result, you could get these kind of unique discoveries from people who might otherwise have struggled to get a film made and published and, you know, out there. And so he made The Innkeepers and The House of the Devil, both of which were very good. In particular, The House of the Devil was a fantastic sort of stripped-down 70s-style horror film. And that's what X is. It's um, a bunch of people are going out to the woods uh, into a farmhouse in order to make a porn film. Okay. We've got um, yeah, our main character, played by Mia Goff, who is a performer in the film, along with another performer, um, a male and female, that is, uh, two other performers, and the director of the movie, who is also Mia Goff's boyfriend. Um, and the guy who is filming the whole thing, who has aspirations to make this a kind of art porn film, and his girlfriend on the sort of sound, mm. who's a bit of a kind of prudish Christian type. And they go to this farmhouse where the owners are obviously kind of creepy and they don't know what they're up to. And then before you know it, you've got yourself a bit of a slasher premise. Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of a pure stripped down slasher film that's going to have all of its uh, screen time committed to tension weirding you out with how bizarre the killers are and then having these sort of cat and mouse things going on where characters either obliviously walk into danger and you're waiting for something bad to happen to them or they're aware of the danger and they're trying to get away and then you know don't with all the gore that that involves and as such it's very effectively made it's a very good slasher film i've seen so many slasher films now that it's (laughs) um it's always good to admire something that is that feels good you know in particular this is it has passing similarities to one of the bad texas chainsaw massacre movies like the beginning Mm. or something one of the really lame ones and yet this shows how you can actually do this effectively still that this formula still works and that people could still get carried along by it the messaging of the film is interesting because on one hand you've got this stuff about sexual liberation these people are all completely free you know the director he doesn't mind seeing his girlfriend have sex with a guy on camera because you know it's what she wants to do and it's like you no know, mm. lots of stuff about like open relationships and then that causes a lot of tension between uh the director of the film and his girlfriend when suddenly she's becomes interested in all of this and that makes mm. him uncomfortable there's a lot of stuff going on that's very interesting yeah then they all get murdered and you kind of think okay what are we up to is this because it has <laughs> similarities to like the moral sermonizing that people would accuse yeah movies of the 70s like halloween and friday the 13th of i never quite bought it 
I always thought that you have your killers do drugs and alcohol and have sex with each other to make them... Sorry, your victims uh, mm. do drugs and alcohol and have sex with each other. That'd be an interesting film of just <laughs> a bunch of killers hanging around, hooking up at a, hey. at a serial killer convention. That's our premise. And then boom, Victorian values. <laughs> always Victorian values. And suddenly they're back mm. and the world's a better place. Yeah. Uh, because nobody's expecting to be happy. <laughs> now get up my <laughs> chimney. <laughs> oh uh, no oh, uh, no how dare you actually get up that chimney yeah <laughs> go up the chimney then go to prison report yeah. to prison yeah no i think you have the main characters do that to make them more relatable so that you're like oh that's like me and my friends oh <laughs> is it you know so that you can feel nervous yeah about what true. happens to them um i'm not sure that quite tracks with x with the porn star angle but nevertheless they are for the 1970s when this is set obviously very progressive in terms of their attitude towards sex mm which is refreshing and interesting. But then, yeah, so we have this moral tale aspect to it. But also, the the killers are these old folk. And there's something there about them also still having sexual desires, but being frustrated by their inability to do it. And there's a sort of, so there's a sort of sexual jealousy of the young folk that fuels the killings. And also a mental health aspect, which is interesting and pointing out sort of concerns that we may have about mm. the fact that we don't expect older people to have sexuality, which is obviously wrong. But then they're killers, so it's very stigmatizing <laughs> as well. So, yeah, <laughs> it's what it's one of those ones where you do find yourself feeling a little uneasy throughout. But hey, what are horror films for? So, yeah, Mia Goff is amazing. She plays a dual role. She plays the uh, the sort of young lady who's starring in this film, um, who you know becomes like the final girl. But she is also playing the old lady who is one of the killers. Oh, interesting. So, okay. Yeah, so that's very good. It reminded me of Suspiria, which I quite which is good. But it might just be because it's Mia Goff. Nevertheless, she's very good in both roles uh, and very dramatic. So I'm quite happy that there's going to be a prequel made about Ooh. the old lady when she was young with Mia Goff in it. So I look forward to that. Um, I'm going to give it four stars. I think it was, yeah, very cool. good. It was really enjoyable. Good. But, I'm uh, glad you had a good time. Yeah. And it's, yeah, provocative. Mm. In a cheeky kind of winky at the audience kind of way. Interesting. In particular, the final line of the movie is very self-aware. Okay. Yeah. That sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. I'm not going to watch it, but... You know. No, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> I'd definitely listen to you do a plot breakdown, preferably in rhyme. But, uh... We shall look into that. <laughs> One day we shall do all of uh, Ty West's films. Yeah. We should explain. That's because Jen's... Uh, for anyone who hasn't heard before, it's because Jen's not a horror movie lady. Oh, yeah. No, I don't watch horror films. Mm-mm. I don't. I think anyone who knows me knows that. <laughs> <laughs> I assume all of our listeners at this stage have gotten to know Jen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, mum. Uh... <laughs> Jen, I need you to hold on to your socks, lest they be blown off. <gasps> I'm holding. Because I've actually somewhat enjoyed a Michael Bay film. What? A terrible day for us all. What? Which one? Wait. Amb- ambulance. The ambulance, yes. I've seen with Michael my, uh, J- Gyllenhaal. Yes, Michael James Gyllenhaal. Michael stars. James Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Oops, I'm doing well on names today. <laughs> so this is actually a remake of a 2005 Danish comedy film, which I found out afterwards made a lot of sense. Right, yes. Here it's played as earnestly as Michael Bay does. And it's a good film, an entertaining film. Uh, but you can oh. just feel Michael Bay chomping at the bit. 
wanting to fully indulge in his worst instincts and bad yeah. habits and make this as thoroughly unwatchable as every other movie he's made yeah. this century. But something, maybe Michael James Gyllenhaal is keeping him in check and mm. we can but hope. So we start with a good premise. We've got desperate bank robbers, Jake Gyllenhaal and Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. Yes, they are bank robbers hijacking an ambulance whilst fleeing the police. And they hold a paramedic, either a paramedic and a wounded cop hostage. So you have a fun premise, but you also have a signature one-size-fits-all approach to how to shoot a scene that makes mm. everything seem really vulgar and obnoxious. Um, he's, he's a pee in a pod with uh, Zack Snyder, really. Mm. They both do this same thing of, what is it, comedy? Um, action? Drama? Well, film it the same way. Low-angle, yeah. spinning camera, up the hues on the contrast. And... Can, can we swap all the people out for CGI? Is that allowed? <laughs> Can we do that? I feel like it would be easier to get into their butts. Yeah. You mean There's... you want to do an animation? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Live action. <laughs> yeah. Make every other character CGI. I just want this to be as jarring and unsettling as possible. Yeah. There's real stunts and practical effects that are exciting and Ooh. fun to watch. But then there's also Bay's fast-cutting, obtuse and distracting camera positions okay. and movement and unbearable shaky cam. Disclaimer and warning. I saw a poster that suggested this movie is in IMAX. Do not Ooh. see this movie in IMAX. <laughs> no. Not unless you're in possession of powerful medication that will help you with any resulting headaches. Because, mm. my God, I saw it on a regular film screen and I had to look away every now and then. It was shaking about so much. Wow. Oh, God. And the hilarious consequence of that is you can never actually tell when the ambulance has shot stopped. Imagine if that was true of speed. It's like, is the bus moving? Huh. Has it stopped? I can't tell. the camera is being so annoying that i can't tell if the ambulance is actually moving right now wait so is this where the ambulance isn't able to stop does the ambulance keep moving throughout the entire film yeah for the most part so it seems yeah they have to keep fleeing the police so you've got this ambulance racing around the city whilst the surgeon is in the back trying to keep this guy alive oh oh that does sound yeah it's a good premise yeah Yeah. it's a really good 90s style premise yeah exactly and it has some good characters, including the two best characters ever to appear in a Michael Bay movie. <laughs> okay. Which isn't a high mark, but you've got Isa Gonzalez as uh, the kidnapped EMT, mm. who must overcome the sort of cynical shell that she's grown about herself in order to endure doing this job as a kind of paramedic. Um, and she has to invest herself fully in keeping a wounded man alive, going above and beyond the call of duty to do so, including ignoring opportunities to run at various points. And bonding with her kidnappers is the only option to stay alive. So she's yeah. going to have to re-engage much more than she has been with her life up mm. until now. And we have um, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, who is a desperate man trying to raise money for his daughter's surgery. And they both play the role sensitively, and neither is exploited by Bay, which is weird because his camera Oof. typically only exploits. But then you have the standard comic relief characters spewing absolute nonsense <laughs> in horrible close-ups. They're still about for a long time. I thought, oh, are we not going to get any awful Michael Bay comic relief? But then after the heist, oh, here they are. Mm. It's this guy. It's not as bad. It's okay. not as bad as anything from Transport- Transformers. There's no characters specifically here to be laughed at because of how ridiculous they are. Mm. Usually because of how non-masculine they are or non-feminine, depending on their actual yeah. gender. It's, yeah. Just, ugh. And speaking of which, you have surprising representation of gay characters and minority ethnic characters that lack Ooh. the usual derision and stereotyping, but... You know, some cliches do persist, and our female lead does need to be taught through a tricky bit of the surgery by four men on the phone. <laughs> and uh, God <laughs> help us when she gets hold of a gun. No, that's going to go wrong. 
it has an exciting and engrossing world of like glass structures and hard streets that you know effectively evokes um michael mann's la the coolest okay. version of la uh but that's nearly spoiled by how tone deaf bay is <laughs> putting together moments of tension comedic relief and sentimentality with no filmmaking technique to differentiate between them and no mm. sense of pacing to keep them separate and I think it's the pacing that's the big issue. Michael Bay has no idea how to pull the audience along in a story with tension and release. Mm. He just goes as fast as he can, throws everything against the wall, and it's just that more of it sticks here than ever before. It's a film of all of Michael Bay's weaknesses, but dialed down just enough that a compelling and entertaining action movie can actually emerge from it. So it's three stars, and I saw a headline that was like, Ambulance is Michael Bay's highest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes. 74%. Wow. And it's like, oh, Michael. Yeah. I think this is his first film that had over 50% since the mid-noughties at the very earliest, maybe even earlier. <sighs> this is the first movie of his I could imagine myself happily rewatching since Armageddon. Wow. Oh, yeah, I forget he did Armageddon. He did Armageddon. He did Bad Boys and the Rock. Movies I do right. not enjoy, but don't find actively annoying for the most part. But, you, I mean, Armageddon is, I mean, it's obviously the great greatest film to come out that summer on that, oh, yeah. on that specific theme. Yeah, on that particular <laughs> subject. So it seems. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently it is. Yeah. <laughs> now that's it for cinema releases, but we have a few home media things to talk about. Oh, yeah. The modern world. The modern, wonderful world we're in where you can't see things the way you want to see them. But, nevertheless, Disney Plus has a new Disney movie called Turning Red. Oh, yes. I've seen lots of people talking about this. A lot of people have been talking about this and have been some very bad takes out there about it. Mm. Very bad takes about what it means and where it's going. It's about a young girl who's um, she's living in a Chinese Canadian family Mm -hmm. and she's very loyal to her parents and she's got some very close friends at school um, and she's trying her best to keep herself keeping up appearances, uh, containing the sort of anxiety and stress that she feels within and sort of fitting into you know her social group but also her parent group and the two do conflict sometimes then one day she wakes up and she's turned into a big old panda yeah she's turned into a great big red panda lovely and this causes tension obviously because mm-hmm. now suddenly her her life is messy and she's finding herself very emotional and volatile and finds it difficult to communicate what she wants and she's basically developed a lot of these well a lot of these character flaws are now very hard for her to hide mm. causing tension between her and her parents her and her friends and threatening the sort of life that she wants to lead. And she's going to have to make a pretty big decision soon. Because pretty soon there's a ritual coming up that will allow her to rid herself of the panda uh, permanently. Uh, but if she misses that ritual, it will be a part of her forever. So oh. it's a story about coming of age, obviously. Mm-hmm. It's about puberty. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's tied up with things like periods and, you know, <laughs> unusual hair and yeah. smells. And all the <laughs> things that happen to you as you become a teenager. <sighs> and and embarrassing emotions and imperfection and all of that good stuff. And it's about how you choose to live with that and what mm. you then do. If you double down on trying to contain everything and becoming a sort of somewhat colder person who you know expects a lot of themselves and has these high standards, or if you embrace the mess. Um, and it's been very interesting to see people talk about this. Mm. Some of whom feel that a kid's film shouldn't handle, I guess, uh, puberty. A lot of people have been complaining about the very overt reference to periods that is in the film. Is this mostly people who don't have periods? Yeah, I think yeah. they've been really bothered by it, but also a surprising number of, um, yeah. sort of 
I don't know, very conservative parents. I saw a review mm. in a Christian um, oh, wow. sort of media monitor. Yeah, wow. I don't know what I was expecting, but this was a particularly bad. Christian science monitors sometimes surprise me in their, um, their approach to film criticism, and they can be quite progressive. This wasn't. This was, um, I can't remember where it was now. It might have been something like New Christian or something, but it first of all started by talking about how Franz Kafka's um, Metamorphosis is a story about how essentially you should lock your weird bug uncle away until he dies because it's better for society. Like what happens to the main character (laughs) in Metamorphosis is like what should happen. And it's like, no. No. (laughs) That's unbelievable. Maybe read that one again. And then Frozen suggesting that frozen was great because it shows the real consequences disastrous consequences of letting it go no no <laughs> you missed that one again she doesn't end the movie having given up her powers no <laughs> it's just responsibility with power you know it's a middle way you extremist yeah and yeah here suggesting that this movie is terrible because it encourages little girls to sort of embrace their mess you know, whereas that should be suppressed so that they can better conform to societal expectations. Oh, lovely. Lovely. Love we need more movies like that, I think. Oh, yeah. I'm delighted this exists. I feel much more positive about this movie now that I've read some of these takes. Um, <laughs> I'm very glad that this is out here and that it's resonating with people so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's really interesting, the idea that it's about establishing an adult relationship with your parents as well. Mm. because it, sto- it, it comes to the point where she can't just sort of blindly follow the orders and meet the expectations of her parents. She's going to have to live her own life. And it's about the awkward way in which that gets communicated during teenage years. Yeah. Um, you know, this age-old dichotomy between the sort of parent who's too strict and kid who just wants freedom and neither of them being able to see each other's kind of perspective. But it feels, it doesn't feel cliche in this. It mm. feels like there is something more going on because this whole panda thing means there's an element of danger there. The symbolism gets a little awkward in places. <laughs> in particular, there's a middle act of the movie in which it's made very clear that the panda comes about as a result of intense emotion or arousal, okay. which is interesting. It's very interesting to yeah. see a movie talk about, you know, a young girl's burgeoning yeah. sexual desires. That's yeah. She's a teenager. It's yeah, gonna that's going to happen. Gonna be a- Absolutely, and that's going to be a confusing thing for kids, and it's really cool to lay some groundwork in a accessible, funny, sweet kids film. Yeah. Nevertheless, there is a bit where she charges other kids at the school to touch the panda, and I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. I'm on board with it. I think it's about her embracing who she is, and mm. maybe there's a sex-positive thing in there? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but I'm here for it, and I'm waiting for people <laughs> to tell me, and I'm going to take the part of the listener. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I should probably watch the film first. But um, I'm sure they probably just didn't didn't want to lean hard into the metaphor at that moment. Probably not. They probably just thought, oh, you know what? In this bit, she's just a panda. Yeah. She's just a kooky panda lady, and that's fine. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a bit too big in its comedy and action sometimes. Like, the comedy is very kids Disney. You know, it's huge expressions and, you know, mm. zany things. Things getting yelled at you, and it's a bit much. But I still really enjoyed it. I found it really sweet. Great. Wonderful. How many stars? Four. Four stars. Wonderful. Lovely. Yeah. That's very nice. You gotta hold something back for the really, you know, the inside outs and the uh the yeah. ups yeah, yeah, yeah. of the world. I don't think I cried during this, but No. No. It's still it's still a lot of fun and I think it's doing some good work. Great. Yeah, I'd definitely watch this. I'll get around to yeah, it at some point. It's it's a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. What's not a lot of fun is what's happening over on Netflix. Oh no. We have Boiling Point. <laughs> oh, I've seen this. Yes, you've seen it? I've seen it. 
What, you've watched the movie? Yeah, I've seen it. Oh, wow, great. Yes. Good stuff. Yes. What did you think of it? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, it was really good. <laughs> oh, my God. This is Philip Barantini's um, Kitchen Nightmare. This is based on his own experiences that he had when he was trying to make it as an actor and was doing uh, sort of kitchen work at the same time. Mm. Um, and he observed the stress of that environment. And so it's about a restaurant, a very nice restaurant run by Stephen Graham as head chef. Um, and he's got all of these staff members. And then it's just about what happens in a sort of typical night. He gets a bad report from the uh, health people mm. uh, saying that he needs to improve. He's got customers who are very demanding. He's got uh, these weird Instagram influencers who are causing a pain. <laughs> yeah. You've got, you know, a vaguely racist customer. You've got staff members who are under a lot of stress, weird dietary requirements that are not being communicated effectively. Um, an old rival shows up, mm. a fellow chef who sort of stole some of his ideas and has now brought a, f- a food critic with him. For a casual just, dinner. For a casual dinner, and it's just everything is going wrong tonight. And the characters are spiraling out of control, and you can tell that Stephen Graham has stuff going on in his personal life as well, which are adding to the tension. So mm. the big thing to note is that the film is shot in such a way as to see... Well, no, it actually is one shot. Yeah. They actually did this. Um. It's one continuous camera movement from its first moment to its last moment. And yeah, I think I, I saw Jason Fleming and Vanette Robinson talk about this film. And I think they said that they did it three times over three days. Wow. And um, I think they used the middle one. Okay. So yeah, it's interesting because obviously they'll have thoughts of, oh, I really thought this moment was best for me in the first move, in the yeah. first time we did it, you know, but it's it's still effortless. It's wonderfully choreographed. It's very mm. natural. You never feel like, you're missing out on something because of the limitation they've imposed on themselves with the camera. No, no. It's really, it really just adds to that tension and that anxiety. You just want to go outside. There's a moment where a character goes outside to take out some rubbish and you yeah. just think, oh, it's lovely out here. Yeah, you you actually take a breath with him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you it's... can feel that cold air hit you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a moment when no yeah. one's shouting. <laughs> <laughs> and you feel that. You feel the methods they have of dealing with things. And part of it is like mm. detachment. Part of it is drugs, and uh, which is all stuff that um, he actually noticed whilst he was doing this stuff. And a lot of it is anger. A lot of it mm. is just getting angry and, yeah, yelling at each other. Um, which just occurred to me. That lengthy diatribe that Vanette Robinson's character goes off on it towards the head waiter lady, that must have been audible to all of the customers in the restaurant. Oh, I'm yeah. So, I was so caught yeah. up in the moment. It didn't occur to me. What if you were at dinner and suddenly just heard the head chef just properly yelling? yeah properly screaming at the person who is like the head waiter yeah i think there was a slight like like uh suspension of disbelief between how much could be heard in the kitchen and between the because they're very close it's like a kitchen that's in the restaurant yeah yeah yeah, or the front bit is and i think yeah there are definitely seats yeah yeah yeah. and i think sometimes it's suggested that they can hear well it's said they can hear you swearing and sometimes i think we're just supposed to assume that they probably didn't hear that bit yeah Because um, otherwise, uh-oh. Uh-oh, whoops. <laughs> Who would ever eat well, there again if all you could hear was Stephen Graham screaming? <laughs> oh, God. The food's it's so, so horrible. good, though. Jeez. Oh, it's, yeah, that's the thing. It's, the food is so good. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's so good, and it's so tense, and so it drives you through it. It yeah. feels like you're moving at a clip throughout the entire thing. And the performances from Stephen Graham are just, just fantastic. And yeah. Fanette Robinson as well. I think those two in particular are just really good in their roles. 
uh, but everybody is really natural and um, feels authentic. Mm. And it's just a really stressful experience, but it has that same sort of morbid fascination of watching something just go wrong, um, whilst also demonstrating what the impact of this Gordon Ramsay kitchen nightmare style toxic environment actually is on people's well-being. Mm. And it's really evocative. And I think a film that needed to be made because we, I don't know, the, the whole thing is just, we tolerate too much this idea of, oh, well, if someone's really good at what they could do, they can just be an asshole. Yeah. And that's fine. And it's not. It's not it's okay. Not. And it, and this is a film that sort of shows off how much that could impact on people. And yeah. It's necessary. And and also the idea that if, you, if you're in a field that's like a vocation or a passion and you it's competitive, then you should also tolerate a lot of rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> from absolutely. people. Um, yeah. It's like, no, yeah, absolutely. It, should, it shouldn't be this sort of environment. Oh God! But yeah, famously, where... yeah. yeah. Even a ratatouille. Where... Sorry, <laughs> even a ratatouille. <laughs> they make it look so stressful. They do. It's oh God. Running a restaurant seems to be awful. And you should be nice to waiting stuff as well. Yeah, you should. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just very, very good. A very good film. I'm giving it all five stars. Yeah, I'd agree. I really enjoyed it. I'd watch it again. Yeah. One Wonderful. last film to discuss that's being put out on limited release Ooh. is a film that I wonder if you'll remember. With me, I have my own reasons for having hazy memories of it. Okay. We have compartment number six. Oh yes, finally getting a release. Oh yes, the uh, Finnish film. Yeah. Where yes, where they mostly speak Russian. Yes. Yes, <laughs> this is uh, uh, Juho Kusmanans. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm sure that's fine. A uh, story of a young student who is fleeing a love affair gone bad uh, mm. via an Arctic Circle train, uh, where she ends up stuck with a Russian miner, and the two of them have to then bond. Yeah. Now this was at the film festival last year, so we both saw it about it was uh, six about months six months ago. Yeah. yeah. We're halfway back towards it. Um, <laughs> I was at this point experiencing very bad shingles, you were. which came about as a result of the uh, film festival, which I did not seek treatment for in time. Thanks, and I BFI. think the day I saw compartment number six was the worst day of it. That was when it was really, really bad to the point oh, where no. I had to start indulging in like mental exercises to try and distract myself. I don't think I'd got. I remember it you saying. I, I yeah. remember you saying that. <laughs> yeah. I imagined I had a little button I could press to make the pain go away and I just had to keep pressing it. So, yeah, that. so my memories are a little distracted, I have to say. Nevertheless, okay. even in spite of shingles pain, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, me too. An intimate drama where we're trapped in the confines of this train and the sort of cabins uh, with these two characters as they sort of form an unlikely friendship. Yeah. Um, it was very. Uh, I remember it being very funny as well. It was, yeah, as being charming. It finds it finds a lot of humor in the differences between the two, and it's just about the unexpected mer- merits of traveling and leaving your comfort zone. Because oh, yes. I think you remember she's traveling on her own for the first time. She's or something like that. She's come to Russia to study Russian, and mm. her girlfriend in Moscow. It's it's not really working out, and they're supposed to yeah. be going to Siberia to see these monoliths. Or something. That's monoliths. it. Yes, yeah, she's she wants um, to see the. Um... Oh, they say the word so many lithographs no that's it's, it it's, is, is that what they are drawings it monograph it's yeah there's drawings there it's yes, prehistoric drawings or, or something along those lines so they're supposed to go together and last minute her girlfriend cancels so she's yeah. like fine i guess i'll go on my own and then yes. on this train gets stuck in a compartment with someone yeah. that <laughs> you wouldn't expect her to get a lot she judges him immediately he judges her that's a big part of it is the judgment um, that happens straight away and the exteriors that they both have which mean that they're just in a worse possible position to actually try and assess each other or yeah. sort of get to know each other because they both have these sort of built-in reasons to distrust each other um yeah 
I've written, I have two notes from when I saw it and I can't quite elaborate. One of them was the power of being perceived and mm. the other is memory as possession. So those two things play into it. Yes. In ways that I can't remember. <laughs> I see the power of being perceived. Does she draw him at some stage? Or like they write do about him? draw each other. Yes. It's yes. There's a very little sweet thing at the end where he gives her, her draw, his drawing of her, doesn't he? That's right. Yeah. So eventually. there's this big thing in there of the sort of... Just the way yeah, they the... see each other. Exactly. And then mm. memory. She's flashing back, isn't she? She's sort mm. of thinking constantly about the relationship. Yeah, that so... she's supposed to be having, but isn't yeah. quite working out. And how she sort of maybe feels a bit, maybe like a trophy, not like a trophy, like, yeah, like a little prize at a time. That's right. And instead yeah. of being properly valued for who she is or, yeah, you know, idea, it was this, it seems like this wonderful ideal because she's in this cool apartment in Moscow with all these... Yeah. Moscow or St. Petersburg, one of them. And with all these, you know, intellectuals speaking about art and things like that. Yes. But in reality, she's uh, she's not that happy. No, but, there's uh, a disaffection there that's out. going on. So. so, yeah, it's a very it's a very charming film and one that's... Yeah, I've seen it described as Finland's answer to Lost in Translation, which okay. is interesting. It has that same vibe, I guess, mm. of sort of damaged people meeting at the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah, so I would give that four stars. I think that's a, a hearty recommendation. Oh, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I had a lovely time. And um, I wasn't... It was in the love section of pro- I thought it might turn out to be a more fraught um, uh. thing because they make it the way they introduced it was like two people are trapped in a compartment on a train uh. and they're complete opposites. And I was like, oh, <laughs> is this going to be tense? But no, it's actually very sweet and yeah, very nice. It and uh, it's a fun time. <laughs> yeah, definitely it really it. is. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And right. I think that's just about all the films I've seen that's not involved Wonderful. in flair. Wonderful. Well, I'm proud of me. I saw, I saw two of those. Yeah, good for good me. Stuff. <laughs> Gold Star Week for Jen. Does anything else stand out as something to watch? All the ones we've discussed, do any of them sort oh. of uh, appeal? Oh, I definitely want to watch Turning Red. That's been on my um, oh, yeah, radar. Yeah. So yeah, um, I think that's probably the film of the week. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's the one for this episode. More than the one out. that you gave. Wait, did you give anything five? Oh, stars? Boiling Point. Yeah, boiling I gave point Boiling Point gave, five yeah. stars. That's my favorite film, definitely. Yeah. Um, it could be, yeah, uh, yeah. I'd say that's the main one I would like to recommend people watch. Yeah, and it's it's very distressing. It's it's a little distressing that once again, the best film of the week is on a streaming service, and I wish that Netflix would commit more thoroughly to releasing its films in cinemas because Boiling Point's been bubbling over for <laughs> a while now and threatening to um come out in cinemas, but I don't think it did. At least I didn't mm. notice a very big cinematic release, and it really deserved to be seen. On yeah, the big God, so, that would have been tense. It would have been very tense and fraught and good. Good. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. And Disney as well. It was a Turning Red came as a big surprise. Yeah. I did not anticipate. Well, someone told me about it and said, just, I, I just watched Turning Red and really liked it. And I was like, what is that? And I had to Google it. It's like, oh, wow. It's a Disney movie. Mm. Disney movie came out. How yeah. do I not know about this? It was I know. It did, I saw it because, again, I watched a random trailer. But I, that, I got a, as much exposure to that as to yeah. Lost park or whatever that one was called lost yeah. island <laughs> it's so lost park i feel like they were both promoted about equally <laughs> last city i saw a lot of stuff i'm, I'm already seeing a lot of yeah, stuff actually, a lot of billboards bus signs yeah. and you know pre-youtube ads yeah, yeah. i feel like a shame. yeah anyway whatever anywho there you go cool those are your films great eat them up yum 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 yum, yum. stephen gray and shouts at you avoid <laughs> morbius yeah avoid morbius well thanks very much paul um, thank you and thank thank and thank you listeners you've been listening to <laughs> jen and the film critic 
uh, a film mayhap. No, do that every time. A screen mayhem podcast. A film mayhaps. <laughs> a film mayhaps, maybe. Um, <laughs> uh, with me, Jen Blundell, and my film critic, Paul Salt. Hello. Hi. Our theme music was by Jacob Blundell, and you can get in touch with us on Twitter and no probably just on twitter at screen mayhem <laughs> what, what other yeah. social medias exist but yeah i think we have an instagram i didn't realize this it do we in the margin screen mayhem you say does. we you mean screen oh, mayhem yeah. has an instagram i think screen mayhem has an instagram i don't know who's doing it or why but <laughs> okay. we have one uh so oh. check that out i guess <laughs> obviously full of uh delights and insights because no one's <laughs> no one's updating it so <laughs> I think Matt might be. It's very oh, odd. okay. Well, we'll also check that out. Yeah, we'll check that out. We'll check out our Instagram and let you know next yeah. time what it's like. Um, and please tell a friend if you like the show and share it around and stuff because that's really useful. And go go watch some nice films and have a good time and tell us if you've seen any. Hey, everyone. I want, have a good time. I want your hot takes. Yeah. Yeah. What's well, the hottest take you have? Until next time then, friends. Goodbye. 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 Bye. Bye. Oh no, I'm turning into a panda.